Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 157 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we tried to answer the question, is this the golden age of podcasting? Now, summer is here and many people, including us, use the summer to catch up on reading books. Yes, actual books. Summer reading lists and suggestions abound this time of year. So in this episode, we decided to jump into the reading waters and share our own list a little bit at least, and also discuss how technology is actually changing the whole summer reading experience. Tom, what's on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report, we'll be discussing our summer reading lists and whether technology is actually changing the way we and I guess other people uh, are reading books. In our second segment, we're going to talk about the Florida Bar's seeming tectonic shift on technology. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip website or observation that you can start using the second that this podcast is over. But for our first segment, uh, let's talk about summer reading. Every summer, uh, we start to see articles about summer reading lists, the best beach reads for people. People start to talk more about books for some reason during the summer. Uh, and so we, we thought we'd kind of join that discussion and, and talk about reading technology and, and what we might individually be reading this summer. Dennis, what got you thinking about this topic other than the fact that it's kind of the topic of the season? Well, it does seem like you see summer reading lists everywhere, and uh, actually my uh, reason for it is now even more acute since it's based on our conversation before we started recording, because uh, I always try to do f- the 52 books in 52 weeks sort of reading thing each year, and I was feeling a little behind because I was at 25 books at at this point, but now I learned I'm significantly behind you. So that's put even more urgency uh, on me to kind of get up to, to speed. There you go. So that made me think about it. And then uh, I had a couple of experiences recently. And I'm just going to highlight one that, that made me think about how technology is changing the way we read. So I really like an, an author named Philip Kerr, who uh, wrote a series of novels. There's a whole bunch of them uh, based on a detective in Nazi Germany named Bernie Gunther, sort of like a Mike Hammer, you know, Raymond Chandler type character. And I really like these books. And I saw him uh, do a reading and speak about his new book called The The Lady from Zagreb. And I started reading the book uh, right before we went on vacation. And I knew I couldn't get it finished before we went on vacation. That's when we went to to Europe. So I knew I wasn't going to take the book with me. So I went on to Amazon and I bought the Kindle version so I could finish reading the book on the plane. So I I thought of it as my first hybrid reading experience where I was actually willing to buy the book twice so that I could read it. And 
how the way we read is actually changing quite a bit. So you have the the ebooks, uh, the the paper books, and audio books, and and everything else. So I don't know, Tom. I, I'm starting to change the way I do things, but sort of. I thought maybe we'd set the baseline for our listeners. What are the ways that you you actually read books these days? Well, let me actually turn it back around to you because when I saw in the in the notes and the outline for our for our podcast, I noticed that you talked about this as a hybrid reading experience. Let me ask you: What percentage of books are you reading that are paper books versus electronic books these days? And then I'll and then I'll share my answer. I still read a lot of paper books, electronic. Uh, sometimes I read more extended pieces, so sometimes a longer PDFs than eBooks. So I'm still say I'm in the probably not much more than twenty percent of eBooks uh, this point of what I consider book reading. And so here's why I thought it was interesting when you called it a hybrid reading experience because for me it means something completely different. And granted, I haven't done it yet, but I'm gonna do it now because I actually downloaded a book today that offers this. And I am primarily an eBook reader. I've given up paper books. Um, I read on the Kindle app on my iPad almost exclusively, and have never looked back at paper books. Um, now, having to read a paper book seems, primitive is not the right word, but it seems like a burden to me to have to have a book when I can actually have a lot of books on my, on my iPad. But when you talked about a hybrid reading experience, what, what I consider to be hybrid these days is what uh, I think Amazon, with its Kindle and, and, and its book reading platform, really made, I think, one of their smartest buys was to buy Audible, the audiobook company. And so I bought a book. It's a, a book called Operation Shakespeare. It's about uh, a, a true story about some sort of international sting that took place in the two in the, about 10, 10 years ago. And as I bought it, it said, "Would you like to buy the audio companion for four dollars and eighty nine cents?" That's it. And so along with the book, I also got the audiobook downloaded to my phone and. Amazon uses a technology called WhisperSync so that wherever I finish off reading the book, if I want to go out for a run or go walk my dog and I want to listen to the book, I, all I have to do is turn on my Audible app and it's synchronized exactly to where I left off in the print book. And so to me, that is the, I'll, I'll call it the future of the hybrid reading experience where you're moving from paper to electronic, we're look, moving from electronic to audio and, and back and forth again and they synchronize with each other. And I think that's really, I I've, I've, I've just now, for the first time, going to try that. And I think that's an interesting, uh, an, an interesting new way to consume information. Well, I, I think it personalizes to you. And then I also, I also I like the notion that because you even have that uh, at this point on the on the, whether it's Kindle or your iPad that's or right. if you have mul multiple iPads or your iPhone that you can pick up exactly where you left off and yep. that that is kind of a cool thing and so the fact that you could do that in audio actually will kind of make i i think points out to some of the difficulties of, of paper in a way because I, it's harder to imagine how i could say oh i'm reading the paper version of a book and then i can pick up immediately where i left off when i go to to my ipad for example so Let's just dive right into regular books because I think there are pros and cons of, of it. You know, there is a sense that a really nice book is nice to hold in your hand. It's, you know, it's easy to, uh, can be easy to read. It's, it's that familiar experience. As I've gotten older, I, there are certain 
type sizes and fonts are difficult for me to read. Uh, I actually prefer to see what the, the print of a book is now before I actually buy it. And, you know, the the paper version of books is difficult to travel with, frankly. I, you don't want to take a bunch of books with you uh, on a plane because they're heavy, they're unwieldy, you don't have that much space. Also, for the thing that keeps me from moving really fast into ebooks is that I'm a public library person. I love the library, my local library. I go there a lot. That's how I find new books. And that's where I kind of explore different authors and things like that because I'm not buying it. I go to the library. So that that's why I would say the, the, the biggest percentage of books that I read are, are still uh, paper books. But Tom, sounds like you've really moved full on into ebooks. What are the pros and cons of ebooks? Well, I'll start. I want to stay with print books for a little bit because because I agree with you. The one thing that for me was the worst part of giving up print books was just the notion of holding a real book in your hands. And that's what I hear from most people is they like that experience of having a bound book. You know, there are some very nicely put together books that just feel like a great experience where holding um, a Kindle or an iPad in your hand can be a very impersonal, cold experience. And I think that's one of the main things that I miss from reading books. What I think for me are the cons of print books, though, are, like you mentioned, carrying them around. I'm much more likely to put three or four books on my Kindle than to carry three or four books with me when I go on vacation to Europe next month, damaging those books. You know, they you put them in a, in a backpack or you put them in a, a briefcase or something. They're going to get scratched up. They're going to get pages bent. It's, they can get damaged very quickly. And then, you know, for me anyway, it's um, I only have a finite amount of bookcase space. And so what do you do when you're done with those books, I've got in my closet. I've for a long for a long period of time, I was selling books back on Amazon, and for some reason, nobody wants to buy those anymore. Mostly because um, I would guess people are, are reading ebooks more. But um, I've got a, a closet full of paper books that I don't have to worry about with the Kindle. Now, w- let's turn it around and talk about it. I don't use the Kindle Kindle device. I prefer to use the Kindle app on my iPad, mostly because I want to cut down on the number of devices that I have. But again. I have as many books as I want. I can either put them on my iPad or just have them in the cloud. Amazon will keep my entire library for me forever as long as I want, and I can download them whenever I want to. Even if I change over to another uh, device, I put it on my phone, I put it on my computer if I want to. These books are searchable, so I can search the books. That's something you don't get uh, in, a, in a print book. Um, you can uh, highlight a word or a phrase and get a def- dictionary definition, or you can go to a Wikipedia entry about it. Um, Kindle's got a really nice feature called X-Ray, where um, it will you press the button and it will take all of the character names that you see on the page and for some of the books it'll actually actually give you a description about who that character is which frankly is very useful in books that have lots and lots of characters and it's hard to keep people straight um, the x-ray feature is really nice and then as we mentioned before the synchronization really is what makes it nice is that I you know I was at the vet today and I was spending some time in the waiting room waiting for them to do some stuff with with one of my dogs and, and I was able to pull out my phone and pick up my book just where I left it at home earlier um, and it was easy 
easy to, to get to. And, and again, with the audio uh, coming online and doing that, I think that's going to be really nice as well. And, and you and I may talk in a future episode about, uh, about Amazon's Echo. I've been playing around with the Echo lately. And, and that's another feature that the Echo has is, is it'll play your audiobooks as well. And it will synchronize there too. So you can, you can just call up an audiobook on the Echo and, and listen to a, a, a book at that point. So I, I tend, to, tend to think that those outweigh uh, the benefits of a book. Uh, and, but then I also find, and Dennis, I'll come back to you, I also find that libraries are starting to rent out e-books more and more often. Um, is that just not something you're interested in? Or is the selection not quite so good in a public library? I, I, I'll confess, I haven't been to a library in a really long time. No, I, that is available. That's something that's definitely on. I just noticed it on my uh, OmniFocus. Is it's that's something that I want to start doing, and and that's that's great. There's a couple of of series of books. Uh, you know, Tom, I know that you and I both watched the uh, the PBS show Grandchester, and uh, there are a series of books that go along with that. And basically, they've been really hard to find. And my local library has gotten one or two of them, but they're always checked out. So. I'm not sure that I'm going to like it enough that I want to buy those books and I have enough things on my list, but that if I could rent ebooks like that, especially things that are in high demand, that might, that might be a good thing. So I think that's, to me, there you, you see one advantage of ebooks is that if the library book is out, you have the potential uh, to be able to still get the book through the, the library and rent it. The consistency of the text size, you can set it to what you want, I think is really important. And one of the things that you touched on, but I'll, I'll touch on it in a different way, is that you you can add a lot of really useful features to ebooks. So you can put video, you can put hyperlinks, you can have a, a different kind of rich experience. So as much as you say you love the feel of a book, the smell of a book, all, all all those sorts of things um, that ebooks can start to add features that that are interesting in their own way. One of the negatives ebooks that that I found is I've been uh, doing a lot more author readings, um, and so it's nice because you can buy the book there and and get the author to to autograph it for you, and that's really cool. And with some exceptions, uh, that's not possible really with with an ebook version although uh, the science fiction writer William Gibson I know has signed people's Kindles in lieu of signing their <laughs> book um, and I think he uses white ink special white ink for that and I'm sort of agno- agnostic about the device and and the the reading tool because they all seem fine to me I guess one one thing uh, on the ebook side I haven't quite figured out I don't know whether you have time is uh, doing ebooks on the beach that's Sort of seems to me still like there is a better place for the paperback book. Well, I think it's better from the standpoint that um, if you get damaged to a paperback book, it's not so such a big deal than if you damage an electronic device. But in terms of the ability to use one on the beach, certainly the Kindle was designed for being out in the sun and the e-ink background, uh, the e-ink display is really, really great uh, for it. And, and frankly, it's very interesting because that, that used to be Amazon's major selling point. I used to see all the commercials about iPad 
iPad users sitting out trying to read their books on the by the pool and they couldn't do it, but the Kindle reader was having no problem. And I don't see that very much anymore. So I'm wondering why they're they're not talking that up. I mean, cert- it is certainly possible to read an iPad. Um, they they put some anti glare onto the screen, so it's easier now than it used to be. And maybe that's why we don't hear protests from Amazon so much anymore. I would be more worried if I'm out on the beach about getting uh, getting something wet. And so I'd want to make sure that whatever I brought out there had uh, sufficient covering to make sure that it didn't get sand in it or get, you know, water or the ocean or anything like that as part of it. But uh, I see a lot of people on, on beaches or around swimming pools with electronic book readers these days. So the other format that I think is kind of interesting, I've used in the past, uh, you know, books on tape and CDs, less so lately uh, because I listen to so many podcasts, but that's the audio format, which I I know you've been doing more of, of Tom, and I've thought of about it, using it, especially for longer books. So let me give you an example. So there's a new TV show called Outlander, or a new TV series called Outlander, based on uh, Diane Gabaldon's uh, novel, sort of fantasy, romance, uh, time travel novel. That I really, I, I like the show. The novel itself is about 800 pages, which is tricky for me to read. It's a, it's a thick book. But I've heard that the audio version is really read well, and so I'm interested in that as something to try, um, and then also I've, I've always I always go back to William Gibson, the science fiction uh, writer's first novel, Neuromancer, where he sort of coined the term. Uh, he's the guy who coined the term cyberspace, and it gets associated with that novel. It has a U two soundtrack and really well read and and really an interesting experience. So I that's something I haven't done. Uh, as much as you, Tom, but I can certainly see the how it could fit in uh, for some people, uh, especially on the commute. Well, you know, what's interesting is that you and I have a really different approach to that because I find that the hardest books for me to read in print, whether it's e-print or regular print, are nonfiction books. Um, for some reason, I can get engrossed in a fiction story and I can read that through. And, you know, unless the book isn't very good and I don't like it, I won't be bored. I, I won't lose interest or get distracted. I can't always say the same about nonfiction books because it's just that it's a serious subject. It's not, uh, you know, sometimes they don't tell them like you would a novel. So it's, it's gets a little bit easier to be distracted by it. But I find that if I put it on an audiobook, um, it's like listening to a documentary for me. And um, that's easier to take and to swallow. So I would say that most of my audiobook listening is nonfiction um, because it's just easier for me. And I guess the other, the other piece of it is, is that that I find that with an audiobook, sometimes it is easier to get distracted. I remember I used to listen to audiobooks on the plane all the time, and I would just look around and look at people and think things about them, and all of a sudden I'd miss 10 minutes of the book. And uh, I find that with a nonfiction book, it's easier to miss chunks and not worry about it. But uh, let me break back to the just the whole ebook format for a second and, and ask this question, because we were talking with some folks at ABA, American Bar Association Publishing, and they made a very interesting 
comment, which is that they've been to conferences where they've been told that millennials, that younger generations, not necessarily of just lawyers, but of people in general, are reading more print books than ebooks, that they're actually going back to the print book. And I wanted to see, Dennis, if you'd heard that, if you had a thought on that. I think that's a very interesting development if it's true that uh, that ebooks are really only for people of a, uh, of a certain generation and, uh, and, and that maybe the younger generation is, is, is headed back in the direction of paper books. Well, my daughter, like her father, has a lot of books, paper books, and she also reads books on her Kindle. And I, th- that comment doesn't surprise me because that's also the age group that is really interested in vinyl records. So I, I think Also interesting to me. Yeah, but I, I think there's a notion of of craft and, and things being handmade. And I would say that I know the kind of books I could, could have read when I was young and how small the font was. And I just can't do that now. And also, I know that in a lot of cases, the paper is really cheap and, and stuff like that. So if you have a really well-crafted book, that's, you know, printed on a great paper and a really great font. It, it is a great experience. So I, I think you might see a little bit of of that. And I also think that kids can get books at half price and used and all of that. So I, I think, you know, both of those things are, are part of that. So that doesn't surprise me. Uh, but I But I think that they, you know, again, the sample set of my daughter, uh, I would say that they, <laughs> they do both. You want to jump to you were talking about nonfiction and I, which I think is an interesting thing because a lot of times I, I read a lot of business books and a lot of times the business books too many business books feel like they're of a really long drawn out version of what was a, a really good article so I've turned to things like get abstract and summary services now I typically that allows me to read books although I, I don't put those books on my list of books read so get abstract um, and there are other services like this. This is a five-page summary of the main points of business books. There's a uh, another service called Safari Online that makes tech books available. Um, I also use podcast interviews with authors, as a, especially on business and tech books, to get the main points of books and make a decision about whether I want to read it. I don't know whether you you do any of that, Tom, but that's kind of a way to kind of speed up your reading and read more things by getting the gist of things without kind of slogging through, you know, several hundred pages. I usually don't. I usually decide that I'd, I'd rather the slog than not, but then I, I don't read a ton of business books. I read a couple, but not very many. But you're right. That's the reason why I don't read very many. But I'll I'll push back for a second on something like, like Get Abstract, because just in theory to me, or in the way that it sounds, is it sounds to me like cliff notes. Cheating for business books is kind of how I viewed it. So it, it's like, I don't have time to learn this. Uh, so just give me the high points and suddenly I'm an expert. Is it more complicated than that? Is it that these summaries say we don't expect you to be an expert at the end? We just want you to hear, see the high points of a book? Well, Get Abstract has a five-page template with sort of one paragraph summary, uh, has some poll quotes, then it goes through the, gives you an executive summary of main points and then and a more detailed summary. So uh, I think it's an effective way of summarizing books. And what I use it for is, especially on things that are sort of trendy business topics, it gives you an entry point really quickly as to what people are talking about when they talk about 
you know, X, Y, or Z. So for example, Lean Startup, you could read the Git abstract summary, get a handle on it. And in that case, that would be something where I'd say, wow, this is really interesting. I will read uh, Eric Rice's book, the, right. the Lean Startup. And so I okay. use it as a way, as a screener, um, and then also as a way to get quickly up to, to speed on topics. Fair enough. Probably what I do for that is that if I want a screener is rather than read a summary, Kindle allows you to download a sample chapter of just of any of their books. And that's what I'll do typically is I'll download a chapter, see if it's a writing style and the content is something that I'm interested in. Sometimes it's good enough, not all the time, but um, that's generally what I typically use for my for my screening. Maybe let's, uh, let's take us out of this segment by talking about the books that we're either have read this summer, planning to read this summer, uh, either tech or non-tech. Dennis? Well, on the tech side, oh, actually, I mentioned one I want to mention to the audience that I've really liked this year is the, is the Lean Startup book. I think that's a really important book That's gets a lot of discussion. A lot of the principles are already out there. I just read the book Becoming Steve Jobs. And if you're interested in technology, I just think that's an excellent book. So that's sort of not the authorized Steve Jobs biography, but it's the one that all the Apple people like. And I, I just thought it was excellent. Uh, so there's that one. I want to learn more about OneNote. So I sort of have uh, Ben Shore's OneNote and One Hour book also on my list of tech books and then a number of things uh, reflecting my interest in uh, in uh, genomics and trying to get a little better background in, in, some, in some of that. Um, so that's on the tech side. On the non-tech, I love reading, you know, detective novels and, you know, spy novels. So I always have a bunch of those. And it's, for me, the usual suspect. There's a new Daniel Silva book, The English Spy, which is just out. That's definitely on my list. Uh, Tom, I think both you and I, I don't know whether you've read the whole set of works as I have of uh, Louise Penny's books about Inspector Gamache. Uh, I like those. Uh, and so I, uh, Louise uh King uh, has written a great series of books about the elderly Sherlock Holmes and his wife that I, that I think are great. So I usually each year, especially in the summer, try to find like a set of those books where I can can read a whole batch of them. Yeah, I am. When it comes to tech books, I must confess that I have not read any nonfiction books about tech, at, at least that are worth mentioning or worth recommending in a while. So I'll mention three books, uh, one of, or I guess maybe it's six books because one is a trilogy, but, but the trilogy I've read, the other two I, are on my reading list. There's a trilogy by an author called Ramez Nam uh, called the Nexus Trilogy, who writes, uh, in, in, he's writing in the year 2040 about someone who's invented a, uh, it's a drug essentially that you can in, in, inhale that creates a neural network network inside your brain that essentially becomes a computer in your brain. You can connect with other people. Um, you can talk to other people. He only wants to use it for good, but so soon the bad people decide they want to use it for war and for bad things. And uh, it's a very interesting way of looking at how computers in the brain might look at some point in the future. Dennis mentioned William Gibson earlier. He's got a new book out called The Peripheral. I'm interested in looking at that. And then uh, if you've never read uh, Ready Player One by Ernest Cline, one of the best books I have read in 
years. Um, Ready Player One was something that came out a couple years ago. He has a new book out called Armada, um, which is a little bit of a silly book. It's a, a, a kid who loves to play a video game called Armada and finds out that the world is being invaded by aliens who happen to look just like uh, the enemies in the video game. So interesting for that. On my list of non-tech books, uh, you'll see I have a kind of a theme of I kind of like the whole post-apocalyptic uh, world. Um, I, I've just finished a terrific book called Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel, uh, which follows a Shakespearean troupe who is wandering around in the Midwest a- after the, the world has has moved on from a flu. Uh, it, it was a really, it was a kind of a a much better book than uh, Cormac McCarthy's The Road in terms of it was kind of a book uh, of the end of the world, but with heart and with people feeling the right way. Um, I'm looking forward to reading Seven Eves by Neil Stevenson, which also looks at the end of the world after the moon explodes. Uh, and then uh, if you are a Stephen King fan, go and read Finders Keepers. It's not a horror movie. It's a horror book. It's a it's a thriller. It's a, it's a detective slash thriller book trying to catch a murderer. And uh, it's going to be a series because he just came out with the new one called, uh, I'm sorry, the first one was called Mr. Mercedes, but the new one is called Finders Keepers. Um, so I'm looking forward to reading Finders Keepers because Mr. Mercedes was really great. I think that's, I've got a lot of books on my list, but that's kind of the high points of, of what I've got. Dennis, anything to wrap up this segment on? No, I, I just think that reading is definitely alive and well, and it's it's another area where I, I think that, you know, sort of like to each his own, and it's always, you want to keep exploring the way that technology can enhance what you're able to do, and I don't think there's been a better time when it's you've had easier access to more great books. Yep, I agree. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Looking for a process server you can trust? ServeNow.com is a nationwide network of local pre-screened process servers. ServeNow works with the most professional process servers in the industry. Connecting your firm with process servers who embrace technology, have experience with high-volume serves, and understand the litigation process and rules of properly effectuating service. Find a pre-screened process server today. Visit www.servenow.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy. And I'm Tom Mile. Our good friend, Adriana Linares, has been podcasting away from the Florida Bar's annual meeting, uh, which took place uh, earlier in July. Uh, and she's been talking uh, with a bunch of people about some big changes in the Florida Bar's approach to technology. Dennis, based on what you've heard so far, is this the dramatic pivot that it seems to be? I mean, it is a huge pivot, and I think both you and I had the chance at, at Tech Show to talk to Greg Coleman, the, the former president of the uh, the Florida Bar, and Ray Abedin, who's uh, the new president, and their interest in technology was profound, and I think their sense of urgency about doing something about technology in Florida w- was really impressive. And I just remember having a conversation with Ray where I said – Basically, there is no state in the United States that has a worse reputation on legal technology than Florida. And I also said, if I were a lawyer in Florida, I don't know that I could do a blog 
that had a legal subject matter because the rules there were so confusing and the state seemed so so against the use of technology in so many ways. And I said it, that that was weird to me because Florida seemed like the perfect state where you could do where technology was meaningful in the practice of law. I mean, there's big geographic distances. You have a an aging population. You have at least two languages, so there there are translation issues. Lots of of hot, interesting topics going on there, and it just seemed perfect for technology. But a state bar that seemed like it was opposed to technology at every step. Now, I would have said it was impossible, basically, for Florida to change its image to make it seem progressive. But sort of, they've been working really hard, and I know that Adriana's been involved with giving them a lot of suggestions. And I don't know whether, you know, a year from now, they will have accomplished much, but they, they're they really taking on the technology thing and in trying to make some stuff happen in a way that I never expected. And I'm actually really encouraged by. So even if it comes to not very much, I I really congratulate Greg and Ray for what they put together and their willingness to listen to some of Adriana's, I, I think, excellent ideas to get people involved. And, and there are some things they're trying, Tom, that I think that other states in the ABA and some in some of the things that we're working on, I think there are things that we can copy of because they are really good ideas. So like I said, I, you know, the, we'll, we'll see how it really goes, but I think in taking a, like a first step. This is a giant step that they're they're trying to take, and and I'm really pleased to see it. Well, and what's interesting, you say that Florida has the worst reputation for legal technology. That's because of the crazy positions they took on legal technology. I mean, there are many states, I think, in the country who do nothing, take no opinions, but also do nothing to support their lawyers with technology that I would argue would be much worse. Um, but uh, but simply by the fact that they don't take a position at all on social media or the cloud or or any of these topics, I think that's what made Florida stand out, at least in our minds. I agree. I think that if they are successful, they're going to be doing a lot of things that nobody's doing. Um, and I think, that, and to me, the, the three things that, that stood out from, from what I heard is they've, they've created now this Practice Resource Institute uh, that all members can use to, to help their practice. It's not just technology, but it does contain technology resources. It looks a lot like maybe the early days of the Legal Technology Resource Center. It's a lot of links uh, to to articles and to blog posts and to other things about law practice topics. Uh, there is a practice management advisor who can help answer questions or help with issues that, that lawyers might be having. They finally got around to uh, to offering member benefits related to technology. So, you know, FastCase and the Form Tool and Logical and NextPoint, some e-discovery tools and some billing tools are offering member benefits, which which I think are a terrific idea. Uh, the success of that will obviously depend on the lawyers depend, uh, deciding to take advantage of those themselves. That's not necessarily something that will be successful uh, because of the work that the Florida Bar does. But the, to me, what is the most intriguing and the thing that I think has the potential to really do the most good is the goal that they're going to make technology education a CLE requirement. They're really going to take to heart the ethics rule that says that lawyers 
employers need to be educated and aware of the risks and benefits associated with using technology on behalf of the client and and actually bake that into uh, their CLE requirements. And I think that actually has the biggest chance of, of, of long-term success in terms of, of affecting the lawyers in the state and, and essentially forcing them to learn about technology. So I'm, I'm intrigued. I'm excited about it. I, I hope that they uh, are successful with it. I'll be interested to see where they go. Now it's time for our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. So I'm going to have a podcast recommendation. Uh, I think we've talked on the podcast before about Nate Silver's website. It's not just Nate Silver. It's a bunch of people, but he's the the well-known statistician who's been so uh, dead on with the uh, election polling in the past couple election cycles. Uh, but uh, the 538 is the, the blog and the site that does this, and they've come out with a couple of different podcasts. The one that just debuted within the last two weeks is called What's the Point? And what they do is, is that they say, look, We've, we've got a lot of what they call big data. They're putting big data to work to try and figure out answers to common questions. So the most recent podcast that they had was uh, how many people have tattoos? How many tattoos do they have? How many people regret having tattoos later in life? Not necessarily a topic that everybody's interested in, but they're able to leverage big data to try and figure out that information. And so it's a a really interesting podcast where they use information to understand what's going on in our daily lives. Uh, If if you read the blog, I really recommend that you go in every day. they They do a blog post called Significant Digits for This Day, and they will give you a, a rundown of about six to eight numbers of the significant numbers for that day. And for me, that's almost a, as good as a news rundown for me because it tells the news in terms of numbers. It's really, really interesting. Uh, and, and, and you can find both that podcast and the significant digits at 538.com. Dennis. I actually listened to the tattoo uh, podcast episode this morning and it was great. I'm going to try to sneak two in here really fast. And so uh, Tom and I have both got the Amazon Echo and we'll talk about it in an upcoming episode. But those of you who want to do homework and get a little preview of the Amazon Echo, take a listen to episode 213, the Home Gadget Geeks podcast. It's called Hands-On with the Amazon Echo and it's totally hands-on and it's really great because they're they're using the Amazon Echo live, actually uh, in, in an interesting way, through a speaker as they're recording it. And it's really impressive, and it gives you an idea of what the Amazon Echo can do. And the other one I, I wanted to talk about is, because uh, there's a friend of mine, it's actually uh, one of my childhood friends who I grew up with, went to high school with, Elaine Schur, has has a blog called The Italian Dish and uh, which is just at theitaliandishblog.com. And uh, she was always a, a, a really good artist and really interesting. And her mom was, was Italian. It was our, our substitute teacher in elementary school. So she's kind of distilled some of the, the knowledge that her mom imparted to her about Italian cooking and stuff with this blog that looks really good, has great pictures. And the most recent post was on uh, this eggplant, tomato, and burrata uh, with anchovy bread appetizer and I just recommend the blog because uh, Elaine is a friend of mine and she's doing some really cool stuff. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode at tcamreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes or on the Legal Talk Network site where you can find archives of all of our previous podcasts. If you'd like to get in touch with us, please email us at tcamreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet. 
I'm at Tom Mile, and Dennis is at Dennis Kennedy. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. Help us out by telling a couple of your friends and colleagues about this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.